Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Another opportunity for you to play and qualify for Crazy for Cali coming up between now and midday today. Also, uh, continuing our giveaway with the Clayton Hotel Cork City on Laps Key for Mother's Day and Easter. All of those happening again this morning. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Since yesterday, a lot of ha- has happened. The Patrick's Day parades have been cancelled up and down the country. Italy has gone into nationwide lockdown. And there's been a huge package of measures brought forward by the government to, to deal with this, or at least to try to deal with this and to prevent it from getting out of hand. And also to make it easier for people to protect themselves from this virus or protect their families or protect their loved ones from this virus by self-isolating. I'm joined on the line by uh, Tanishta, and he's still Tanishta until he's not Tanishta anymore, uh, Simon Coveney. Simon, good morning to you. PJ, hi. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. No, and delighted you could uh, take the time to talk to us. First of all, this... A lot of people are saying that we don't know what we're doing. Where are we with this, Simon? Are we still ahead of this, or is it ahead of us? Well, I think the truth on this is that we're learning more about this virus every day. So anybody who comes on a radio station or a television screen and says that they're an expert in uh, COVID-19 isn't telling you the truth because, you know, 13 weeks ago, no one had ever heard of this virus. Um, And at the end of January, a country like Italy uh, had its first case uh, of coronavirus. uh, And now they have almost 10,000 people infected uh, and they've had... Um, more than 460 people have died. And so that's the pace at which this can change. And, and it may accelerate further in, in Italy, which is why they've, they've now put 60 million people, essentially, as you've described, into lockdown, which is just totally unprecedented uh, outside of wartime. So um, what we're trying to do in Ireland uh, is to learn lessons as quickly as we can from other countries that have essentially a more advanced are at a more advanced stage in terms of the spread of this virus um, so that we can take actions now that contains the virus as much as possible and slows down the spread of it um, so that we can uh, create the time and space for our health services to be able to respond appropriately and more importantly actually uh, that the public communication of this from the state and all of its institutions, uh, particularly the HSE and the Department of Health, can be fully understood by people going about their, their daily business so, so that they can protect themselves, their families, people close to them, their work colleagues, uh, and so on. And, um, you know, the, the government is not exaggerating here. You know, if, if this virus takes hold, um, the, the predictions of many public health experts is that if you have a virus 
kind of spreading in a population that has no immunity to that virus, where there's no vaccine available and no treatment available, um, the the possibility is that this could spread to between 20 and 50 percent of the population. Um, now, the vast majority of people uh, will, if they um, if they contract this virus, will not have significant health impacts. They yeah. will have a they'll have a cold. They won't feel very well, but it'll pass within days. But they're highly uh, highly infectious. They're infectious, and about 20% of people uh, who who get this virus uh, will have health uh, consequences that will be quite significant. And somewhere between, uh, and we're not quite sure yet, but we think somewhere between 1% and 3% of people potentially could be impacted fatally. And those people are vulnerable people in our community, mainly elderly people or people that have a weakened immune system or people that have a disability. Uh, and we, of course, need to do everything we can to protect that vulnerable population. Um, we don't uh, want to be it. in the... I mean, it's stark reminder uh, that on the 21st, I think it was of February, Italy reported less than half a dozen cases. And now, yeah. like you say, it has 10,000 and nearly 5,000 people are dead, or 500 people, rather, are dead. And, yeah, and we need and, to take lessons more, from that. What's more dramatic about that, though, is, is the pace of the spread. Let's just say this so, is only the 10th of March. Like. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yesterday, close on 1,000 people uh, in Italy um, uh, were recorded as you know, as positive. And that doesn't include all the people that haven't been right. taking tests. Well, my first uh, question and, then... And before an extra 100 people in a day yeah. um, have died. Before we move on to the measures being put in place by the government, very simple and serious question, Tonished, and I think you still hold the, the foreign affairs brief, Simon. Yeah. Why can I still fly to and from Italy without a problem? And why can they still fly over here? Why haven't we stopped the flights? Okay, well, let me answer that question. And uh, the straight answer to the question is because the public health advice is that we shouldn't be shutting down flights. Um, but, but there is travel advice as of this morning, um, which is totally unprecedented. Um, that you know, I'm giving very direct advice as Minister for Foreign Affairs that Irish people should not travel to any part of Italy. Um, uh, unless it's absolutely essential. Uh, and I can never recall a time uh, when that kind of travel advice has been given to Irish people not to travel to another EU mm. member state. I'm not why sure wouldn't it's ever we halt before. the flights for two weeks? For the, while they're yeah. in lockdown for two weeks to try and prevent it spreading in Italy, why wouldn't yeah, well, we shut the flights down for two weeks? Okay, well, I mean, uh, of course I've asked those questions um, and our... Uh, our public health experts and our chief medical officer uh, has advised against that. Uh, and also... Have you asked uh, them why the, they're advising against yeah, it? Yeah, yeah no, but just to, to finish the point, uh, the European Centre of Disease Prevention and Control has also advised against that. And there are reasons for that. I mean, first of all, there are over 100 countries now have the virus. Um, so, you know, if we are to shut down flights from Italy now... You know, is it France and Germany next week? Uh, is it the UK the week after? Um, and, you know, this is a conversation that the EU is having. Um, the the Taoiseach today uh, is on a, a conference call with all other EU leaders. Um, there's a special European Council uh, which is being held to discuss the coronavirus today. Um, he has said that he's going to raise this issue very directly uh, as to whether the EU collectively should and can do more in terms of limiting flights uh, between countries um, and from locations where there is a high instances uh, of the uh, of the virus. We've so, just been so contacted we on the phone in the last t 10 minutes. We've been contacted on the phone, Simon, by someone who, in the course of their work, 
must travel to Rome in the next couple of days and their boss is insisting they go to Rome. Like, that's dangerous. Yeah, and I mean, what we've said is that, you know, if essential travel is required, well, then obviously people need to to take precautions uh, if they need to travel. But our advice today uh, is that if the travel is not essential, then they shouldn't be going. Um, And uh, and I think employers uh, need to take that on board. Let's let's deal with the measures in place. Sick pay, first of all. If I am told by my doctor, now, okay, if, if John or Joe Soap is told by his doctor, go home, stay indoors for two weeks, and tell your boss you're off sick. What is the provision? Yeah, so, so um, until yesterday, um, essentially, as you know, uh, illness benefit applied for people who are sick and need to be out of work. But the first six days essentially isn't covered. In other words, illness benefit really only kicks in if you're very sick and you're out of work for more than a week. Um, we've now changed that. Um, so that if you are uh, required to self-isolate because you have symptoms uh, and you're advised to do that by your doctor, well, then uh, illness benefit will kick in straight away from day one. Uh, And then secondly, because a lot of people understandably feel they can't take time off work because they need to pay the bills um, uh, and, um, uh, uh, and so they will often work uh, sick um, uh, the, uh, we can't afford that now uh, and so we have uh, increased illness benefits significantly from 203 euros a week to 305 euros a week so, so for example last week if someone had to take two weeks off work they would essentially have got 203 euros for the second week that they would have been out they will now get 610 euros um, 305 per week um, uh, as long as they obviously do it on the back of, of doctor's now, advice. Now, so given the Department of Social Welfare works at a glacial pace, when will they get that money? No, this, is, this, is, this will happen quickly. Um, and one of the reasons why we're, we're doing this in a way that is clean, so we're not, there's no means testing, uh, there's no differentiation between employers that can afford to pay more illness benefits and employers that can't. Uh, the state is simply making a swift decision here mm. uh, to, to increase illness benefit from 203 to mm-hmm. 305 euros per week. And we are waiving um, the requirements for the first six right. days in, in terms of waiting. And by the way, and I think it's important to say this to your listeners, self-employed people can also access this payment in a non-means-tested way. Yes. So in other words, we're clearing the decks here. Um, there will be very little bureaucracy involved. Yes. Um, but of course, it's going to be very expensive. Uh, well, and, it'll be um, expensive, but also the worry will be, and as, as I said, I'm thinking of, of Sean Bloggs here, having to go home for two weeks. Uh, when will he get his money? Oh no, they'll get they'll get payments um, more or less straight away. That's my understanding. Okay. Um, they won't have to wait for that. The whole purpose of this, by the way, uh, is that you know it can everybody... take many weeks at the moment. It can take up to seven yeah, weeks. Yeah, no, no, I, I I understand that. But but where we're going to get to here is that regardless of your income, regardless of the kind of job you have, regardless of your employer, uh, we want to make sure that anybody who needs to self isolate can self isolate without there being a significant 
financial cost to them for that. We're working with employers to obviously um, supplement and increase their contribution towards illness benefit as well, um, um, uh, if they can afford to do it. Um, but most importantly, the state essentially has committed a package uh, of 2.3 billion euros. That's that's assuming, um, which is a, um, a, a, um, a an estimate that's possible but may not happen. But mm. we're assuming that up to half the workforce may have to self isolate. If if that was the case, uh, we we'd be spending about 2.3 billion euros on this package, which is significant. And on top of that, then yesterday we announced uh, an extra 435 million euros for the HSE to essentially take on more staff to add more beds to the system, to put more money into ambulance services, uh, into social care, uh, and all the other things that, that the HSC needs to do to prepare for this getting an awful lot worse. Something else for workers as well, and anecdotally, and I've heard this from at least three separate sources, all of whom I would consider dependable, they've been told in their workplace that should they have to isolate, it will come out of their annual leave requirement. Now, that surely cannot be allowed. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to comment on that now because that sounds like it's well. Well, sorry. I mean, I don't want to comment on the truth of that, right? Mm. That, that, that how would you be, feel about an employer? How would you feel about an employer telling a worker, "Well, okay, go off, self-isolate, but it's coming out of your annual leave, and maybe the holiday you planned with your kids, you might not be able yeah. to take them." Well, that shouldn't be happening. There's a reason why we are paying illness benefits uh, to people who are self-isolating. Uh, and it's because it's considered necessary for public health. Uh, and so people's, uh, people's holiday time should not be impacted by Is that. Is it possible that the Department of Employment or Enterprise could issue an instruction to that effect? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, it's, 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 uh, um, I'm just hearing it from you now, but I'll certainly speak to the, um, to the line. Because, that, because I, I, do, I, I am aware of at least one person working in a factory environment who has been told, fine, that's grand. You'll be paid. You're obviously, the government is doing this. But if you yeah. go on, on self-isolation, that's two weeks of annual leave gone. Yeah, and I get that, right? And I think that, you know, I'm sure employers are making decisions in the absence of, uh, of, uh, of understanding the state's response here. I think after yesterday, uh, yesterday's announcements in relation to illness benefits uh, mm-hmm. and also in relation to supplement, supplement, supplementary welfare payments, I think that's a very clear signal to employers mm. that they need to take this more seriously and they need to consider it in the context of public health. And by the way, they should be taking account of that in their own interests as well, because if there is a case of COVID-19 in their workplace uh, and if it's spread, uh, it could have you know very significant impacts for their own business. Mm. Um, so... This, this makes good sense in terms of public health, which is the most important thing here. Yeah. Uh, and both employers and employees uh, should listen to what the government's saying uh, and heed the advice. Can anything be done for people who, yeah, fair enough, the increase in money is fine, but trying to get food delivered, trying to get deliveries, uh, people who have to self-isolate and can't afford to have food, like the meals, and, and for example, the Meals on Wheels service says it's already overwhelmed. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's, it's true to say that should this, um, should this virus spread dramatically in Ireland, uh, particularly for vulnerable populations, uh, elderly people, uh, we will be encouraging them to stay at home, um, um, not to, uh, to be in a, a community setting. Uh, and that means essentially limiting 
travel, to shops, to mass, to uh, to other public gatherings. Uh, and if that's the case, uh, we need to put supports in place at a community level um, so that we can get people uh, supports and obviously meals uh, and um, medical treatment if they need that at home to try to reduce the potential of the spread of the virus, in particular for vulnerable populations and elderly people. Mm. So, um, so, so the truth is that, that we may well have to gear up significantly and mm. use community networks and voluntary organizations and so on. Uh, the army, in perhaps? Par- in partnership is- with the state. Well, look, I mean, you know, we're not going to rule anything out. Okay. Uh, and um, one of the things that, uh, that Paul Reid, who's the head of the HSC, is working on this week with the chief medical officer. Uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll be a long way down the line by Friday when the, uh, uh, the Cabinet Special Committee on Coronavirus meets again. Uh, and we'll, meeting, we'll be meeting again the following Monday. Um, um, you know, the, we are trying to plan two and three and four weeks down the line right. here. Um, uh, asking ourselves the really difficult questions uh, uh, in the context of worst-case scenario. One one of the panellists on the Clare Byrne show last night, who who was a doctor, pretty much rounded on the government and said, you're heading down the road of putting putting us into a position that Italy's in now. You don't agree agree with that, I expect. Well, I mean, that was one of the panellists. You know, there were two or three of the other panellists who seemed to be very supportive of what the government was doing. So, Mm. you know, you would expect RTE to bring in different people with different views. And people will have different views here. And we should listen to all of them, by the way. Um, but, but I mean, just to reassure people, the decisions that I'm making, the decisions that Taoiseach's making uh, f- uh, for the government on behalf of, um, of the public uh, is based on uh, the best advice that we have okay. from our public health experts and all of the decisions that we make. The government won't shy, shy away from making dramatic decisions if we need to. Significant um, question but, with regard but we to need, the but isolation. We need, to make those decisions, we need to make those decisions on the basis of good public health advice, not anything else. Significant question with relation to isolation, and this is a a prescient one. If a person can't get to a doctor to get a sick cert signed because they've been told now, don't come to the surgery, phone us. How are they going to get their sick cert? Well, look, I mean, the advice is actually don't go to your GP if you have symptoms uh, that you think might be connected with this virus. Um, what, what, what we want you to do is to telephone your, your doctor uh, and they will essentially try to diagnose and give advice uh, on the phone. Um, but it's, it's very clear if the advice of your GP is to stay at home and, and self-isolate, uh, we'll be insisting on employers uh, respecting that advice. Now, in general, children are not badly affected by this, but I've had one question come in on children with special needs, and many of those, for example, kids with, I'm just plucking this one out of the air now because I happen to know it, kids with Down syndrome can have heart and lung issues, for example. Any provision being made for, for children and for people with special needs? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm very aware that I have a... I have a niece who's very close to me with uh, with Down syndrome, and um, um, so that's obviously come up in terms of my own family conversations, uh, as well as in terms of the public health discussion. I mean, the truth is that uh, there are children uh, and people of all ages uh, with um, uh, with conditions uh, that mean that they are that they have weaker immune systems uh, and they are more vulnerable, uh, and so parents need to make. Um, sensible decisions uh, in relation to their children uh, in those circumstances. Uh, They need to essentially keep them out of large uh, social settings, uh, I would say, 
uh, and, uh, you know, make sure that they wash their hands uh, an extra time or, or an extra five or six times every day. Make sure that if someone in the household is sneezing, um, that, um, that they are kept away from, from people who may be vulnerable. Uh, and, of course, to, uh, to take the advice daily from the HSE in terms of updates. We are coming and, uh, into yeah. confirmation season, Tanishta, and lots of we people are. will be going to family gatherings. Um, what would your advice be there? I would say use your common sense uh, and follow the advice of your GP and, and the HSE. Uh, and I think we are going to see a lot of change for normal life in Ireland uh, over the next few weeks mm. and months um, yeah. to respond uh, to what is totally unprecedented. I mean, you know, we are, as I say, learning about this virus every day. Um, but I think you can expect, you know, we've already cancelled a big international rugby match. We've already cancelled St. Patrick's Day mm. celebrations. Um, there's a lot of other things happening within communities as well. Uh, and we're going to do... And you know yourself, you know yourself Simon, if people are told, unless people are told it doesn't happen, it'll happen. Unless people are told you can't go here and you can't go there, they will go here and they will go there. So people people will act on direction, which... which yeah. Just one, on transport, yeah. finally, yeah. on travel. Can I, just, can I just say on that, uh, Peter, because I think that's a very fair question. I mean, we... we uh, the National Public Health Emergency Team, I think they've met 12 times already in the last couple of weeks. They're meeting again today. Uh, my understanding is that they're focusing on giving more precise guidance on public gatherings today. So yesterday we made, you know, the sort of high-profile decision around St. Patrick's Day, which I think was a, um, you know, was a decision that was coming for a few days. But, um, you know, one of the discussions we had yesterday was, look, we need to give the public more precise information so, so that they can make informed decisions in, in relation to, uh, to, you know, family gatherings or confirmations or, or whatever, uh, business gatherings, seminars. Uh, and I think you will shortly get... Um, more precise advice from the National Public Health Emergency Team uh, led by the Chief Medical Officer. Two two more for you. One is again to do with employment. This man's called us. He works for a private contractor. He he delivers children in a bus to a special school. If that school is closed, he's out of work. Will he get sick pay under the new scheme? Will he be temporarily laid off? What happens? Yeah, yeah. so so if you're self-employed, um, you can yeah, you will be able to get the same payment, either through illness benefit or supplementary welfare allowance, and it'll be non-means tested. So okay. in other words, what we're saying to people here is, look, uh, think about public health first. Uh, if you have symptoms uh, and if your GP recommends that, that you should be self-isolating at home, that's what you do. Uh, and the state will support you as best we can financially, uh, whether you're self-employed uh, or whether you're an employee. Okay. Now, on travel agents, and I spoke, it's two weeks ago now, so a lot has changed, but I spoke at the very start of this, uh, to, to to Owen Corrie of Travel Extra, and he yeah. was outlining how unless the government or the Department of Foreign Affairs has said do not go to a particular place, people who have booked holidays or booked trips uh, have no comeback with regard to money they've spent. Jerry was just on to us there. He said, uh, we're due to fly to Italy tomorrow. Our travel agent still says it's safe to travel. I've been on the DFA website and it only advises not to travel to the north. Where is the advice available? And can can Jerry now say to his travel agent, I, I require a refund here? Yeah, well, I, I'd say if, if he checks the, the Department of Foreign Affairs website now, mm. that may have changed. It certainly will be changing well, in the next hour, I would say, if it hasn't changed We, we just look there, it says high degree of caution. It doesn't say do not travel. 
Okay, well, the, the, well, sorry, we can't instruct somebody not to travel. Um, what we do in the Department of Foreign Affairs is we give travel advice. The advice now is not to travel to Italy, to any part of Italy, unless absolutely necessary. All right. um, and that is fairly direct advice to people and travel agents. Uh, my understanding, um, certainly because an awful lot of school principals would have contacted me a number of weeks ago to say, look, um, can you give more direct advice in relation to Northern Italy? Um, um, so that we can try to get a refund from um, um, from our um, travel agency. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, in terms of flights and hotels and so on. Uh, the advice uh, is now not to travel to Italy, to any part of Italy, uh, unless absolutely necessary. Uh, and I hope the travel agents will, will, will respond to that advice uh, accordingly. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there for now. Tanishta and Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, Simon Coveney, thank you very much for speaking to us on the opinion line on United States Fund this morning. Thank you, Simon. I've no doubt we will speak again over the weeks to come as this continues to be the biggest news story. Just thinking about it last night, this is the biggest public health news story I can remember in a very, very long time. And I include cervical check in this. I mean, cervical check was huge, but this is enormous. By WhatsApp, they cancelled the match where they still left fans into the country and they went touring all around the country, possibly spreading the virus. They did more for the cattle, referring back to foot and mouth. PJ, will there be a public service broadcast on the TV from a doctor, not a politician? Well, actually, they're already happening um, from Dr. Holohan, the chief medical officer, every day. You can get it, and to be fair to them, they're streaming it on their News Now platform, RTE News Now platform, are running these... The briefing's pretty much live most of the day. Uh, Carla says, I've COPD. I have a holiday booked, but my health is out of... My health is out of pocket. This holiday was a lifetime treat, and I'm now out of a lot of money. I think the government should help people like us by instigating a ban. Well, he can't ban, he says, but he can recommend you don't travel. And the Foreign Affairs is instructing that all but emergency travel or urgent travel to Italy be, be stopped, then you will get your money back from your travel agent. PJ says, Owen, I am by no means backing up the tonish to here. I would never do that. But I will say that most of his answers are the same as we're getting here in Germany. I live on the Swiss border, very near North Italy. There is no panic. The Italians themselves haven't really put in a real lockdown. They can still go to work and walk the streets. No borders have been closed. This will be our normal lives for at least two years. People are just going to have to get used to it. There's been a crash on the airport road just at the crossroads as you head towards Lehenamore. Uh, guards, well, when we got that in, weren't at the scene yet. I'm assuming they are now because that's been there on my screen for a while. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie. The Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns this May to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2020 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organize a coffee break at work at home, a no-uniform day at school or simply gather all that loose change with our change collector boxes. 
Stay listening for more details coming soon on how you can help raise funds. The 2020 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 21st to 23rd, only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, Cork City Council confirmed yesterday afternoon that the Cork St. Patrick's Day parade had been cancelled. They decided before Dublin subsequently announced that its massive parade was gone. Cork is the second biggest in the country, can attract up to 50,000 people. A lot of pressure had been coming on City Hall locally after a lot of the regional parades, places like Cove, Middleton, Bandon, Bantry, Whitegate, Blarney, had all uh, cancelled. And then yesterday afternoon, the announcement came from City Hall that the City St. Patrick's Day Parade had been cancelled. Lord Mayor, Dr. John Sheehan. John, you were you kind of had no choice in the end, did you really? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. No, we didn't really. Um, I, to be honest with you, I thought it would be called nationally last Friday, and we were surprised when it wasn't. Um, but then we did a risk, risk assessment um, in terms of the evolving situation and in terms of, you know, hand sanitization and being able to treat it, you know, in terms of a public health um, event. And really it just wasn't feasible to call, uh, you know, to, to have a parade in the circumstances. I mean, see, see all these events right throughout Europe being cancelled. And to be honest with you, also, PJ, there wasn't a mood for it, um, um, you know, at, at this time. Although it's a huge event and it's a great event, given the circumstances of what's happening, it just wouldn't mm. be appropriate to hold it. Of course, what it won't prevent is pubs being jammers on Patrick's Day anyway. No, it won't. And people will still go out. People will still do, 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 do their thing. But we have seen a huge drop-off, I suppose, in terms of restaurant bookings and in terms of uh, uh, hotel bookings and, and, and things like that. So, so businesses are really feeling the, the effect of this, unfortunately. Um, but I think they're different than big, large mass gatherings where you might have you know, tens of thousands of people um, and together. So those gatherings have been cancelled nationally now as well. Um, I suppose the question remains, PJ, how, how, how low do you go down in terms of your gatherings? France had a, had a limit of no gatherings over 5,000, then do we go to 1,000, and, and that brings in things like schools and masses and yeah. things like that. Um, Germany is 1,000 now as well. Yeah, it's an evolving situation, and you know we're very much in the containment phase at the moment, so that isn't the recommendation that that would happen. But that may change over the next couple of days. Just a quick question on all that. We hear that this is the phase and that's not the recommendation right now. What would be so wrong, do you think, John, with stepping ahead by a week or two and, and n- not waiting until the numbers dictate our move? What would be so wrong with, with shutting down more and doing it now? The old, God, the old adage, prevention is better than cure. Um, I suppose there's a couple of things. First of all, obviously, it has a huge economic impact into businesses and uh, and restaurants and, you know, all the different things that, you know, that would be affected by a shutdown. So that would have a huge economic uh, impact. The other thing then is the evidence for it. Um, You know, is there evidence to show that if you're in a containment phase, if you shut everything down, does it reduce down the risk of spread? And... It may not, PJ, because if everyone is at, you know, is everyone at home, is everyone walking around, you know, will it make a difference in terms of a containment phase? So that's kind of the the, the logic on it from the basis of a public health sort of advice. Now, with regard to sanitizer and other such things, I, I remember 
the, the foot and mouth and places like City Hall had mats the size of small African nations inside the main door and buckets of sanitizer. Where are we with hand sanitizers in public buildings that the city has control of? Well, certainly there are, there's hand sanitizers in City Hall, and you know, with our council meeting last night, and even outside the, the, the council rooms, there, you know, there's hand sanitizers, so they're around, all around uh, City Hall. Um, I'd imagine they're in most public buildings. They're hard to get now, obviously, um, mm. they're in short supply. Um, I'm in practice at the well, moment. Well, we've a Cork company have gone into production, and we'll have a batch on Friday, so at least hopefully there'll be some there. Yeah, because there's a huge short supply, there's a shortage of face masks. You know, there's, um, you know, and then there's the, the panic buying situation. There's apparently pasta and rice isn't to be had in many supermarkets that they're all sold out. Mm. Um, but, yeah, we're taking all precautions. And the simple things make do make a big difference. The hand washing, the, you know, using tissues and disposing of them, coughing into your elbow, yeah. you know, avoiding handshaking. All of those things make a big difference. In terms of doctor's surgeries, now, we've been hearing anecdotally, and we've spoken to one or two doctors about a telephone-only protocol that all walk-up to surgeries needs to be stopped. Is, is that... Be, I mean, in your own surgery, for example, what's happening? Well, I'm here this morning, my own surgery, and we have a number of scheduled appointments. The fear is um, that someone will present with uh, very severe flu-like symptoms, and that causes a difficulty in terms of managing it. So what we're encouraging and what the HSC are encouraging people to do is not to show up to A&E, not to show up to their GP surgery, but to ring ahead... So this morning, for instance, now, um, after talking to you, we have four phone calls to make with people with flu-like symptoms. And that's the correct thing. They did the right thing by ringing in and getting advice um, over the phone. Because you don't want people coming up to A&E or to doctor surgeries and, unfortunately, spreading it then to others. They want to isolate themselves and take advice over the phone. Anecdotally, again, and I stress anecdotally, we've had a lot of reports over the last, definitely the last 24 hours, that people are ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and no one's picking up the phone. It is. It's hard. I mean, we had to get onto the public health uh, hotline yesterday. Public health authorities about a case we we're concerned about, and they are really feeling the strain in terms of um, capacity. Um, also, I was on South Dock at the weekend, PJ, and we got onto your station um, just to issue an appeal for people not to, to show up in South Dock but to ring ahead because we don't want people going, going to South Dock with flu-like symptoms um, either. So we wanted to get that message um, out there. But it is, there's no doubt it is putting a strain on the capacity of the health services to manage this from a public health um, point of view. Okay. Now, you, you can address this, again, wearing your medical hat, John. Um, we've had this in. Yesterday we had a call or we had a message about the very irresponsible action. A health worker who was sent home to self-isolate for two weeks and on the way stopped to get her hair done and had actually told the people in the salon that she was going home for two weeks. Asking this again, please, could you, for example, as Lord Mayor and as a doctor, talk to people about, if you're told to self-isolate, for goodness sake, don't be going to the pub, don't be going to the hairdresser, go home and self-isolate. It is, yeah, and like you should treat it as if you're, you know, you're in hospital but you're at home. Uh, so it's not a, you know, it's not a two-week holiday where you're out and about and you're going out for things and you're, you can't go back. You have to avoid contact with people. So you know, you're at home, you're you're not engaging, you're not going out to the shops, you're not going to the supermarket, you're not going, you know, doing those activities because that just defeats the whole purpose of self-isolation. You're not driving the kids to school. You're, you're not, no, you're not self-isolating in, in, in those scenarios. And it can be hard. I mean, we all think it would be lovely just to have not, do nothing for two weeks. But usually people tend to scope and start crazy after a couple of days and get twitchy. Um, 
but that's the, that's the important. This is our chance to be able to reduce the risk of, a tra- of the infection spreading out into the community and really only you'll get one shot at this, so that's why it's so important. All right. Like self-isolation. So if I'm told today, self-isolate, what would you say? I mean, if you're my GP and you say to me, self-isolate, what do I do for the next two weeks? Well, if I if if you're if say you're in my surgery, you're, I would tell you not to use public transport on the way home. If you drove yourself, to drive yourself home. If someone drove you uh, and already had contact with you, then they can drive you home, and that's what the guidelines say. Then you go home, um, and you're home for you're home for two weeks. And um, if you you're single and you live alone, and um, obviously you're going to have to arrange somewhere to get food and various things. You'll probably be watching a lot of Netflix. Um, but you're, you're, you're isolated, you're at home, you're not out and about, you're not mm. going to Mass, you're not going to the shopping centres, you're not, you know, I just pop out and meet a few buddies. Yeah, and, and by isolated, for example, would you go so far as that to have me live or live in one room for the two weeks? Like, would I, would I, be, would I be sharing a bed with my wife? Would I be bathing my children? Would I be doing all these things in normal? Or should I actually take isolation to being isolation as much as possible isolation means isolation now sometimes that can be just impractical in a house you know there, there, there may be, you know there's one bathroom and people yeah. have to use it um, so what they do recommend is that if someone is self-isolating and there are household contacts they can carry on as normal because they're a contact of a contact but um, uh, the person themselves would try to isolate themselves as much as possible from them all right. Okay. Listen, leave it there for now. Thank you very much, Lord Bear of Cork, uh, Dr. John Sheehan. 1850-715-996. Loads of different queries coming in. We'll be here with everyone for hours asking all the questions, but we will read out as many of your comments as we can. There's a massive response to it, as you would expect. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Call and collect or get 7 day delivery for those cosy nights in solidfueldepot.ie For 20 minutes of the best music mix and everything Cork on Cork's 96FM all this week, I'll give you the chance to qualify for Crazy for Cali. You could win a holiday for two in California. Always answer your phone with the phrase that pays. I'm Crazy for Cali with Corks 96 FM. Do not say hello. Hello. Sorry. Oh, sugar can. And Tobin. Weekdays from midday. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Corks 96 FM. Here's a message we got. I have a school child. Uh, last week I informed the school of another parent traveling to Italy uh, and returning the other day. The child was not going, but there was a, my child was not going, but there was a risk of contamination when the parent returned Monday. I'm confused. The parent was going to Italy. Okay, so the parent was going to Italy. Ah, right. And you were worried about contamination when the parent returned on Monday evening. I was later informed by another person that the school wasn't bothered, as they were not in a, as they were not in a lockdown area of Italy. As of eleven o'clock tonight, now it's quarantined the whole country. The child has now been reunited with her parent and is being brought to the school in the morning. Am I wrong to question the school about keeping this child home in self-isolation 
rather than myself and other parents having to keep our kids out of school instead. Yeah, sorry, that's a small bit uh, jumbled, but I get where you're coming from. You know of a parent in the school who has been to Italy and is now back. You're worried because they've brought contamination back, given it to their child, who will now bring that child into the school, and you're looking for direction. I understand that. PJ, I'm an elderly person living alone with my little dog. I have COPD, and I'm terrified if I get the virus, people will be afraid to mind my dog. God help you. Stay inside. Stay inside. Don't go out, and if you have anyone who will go to the shop for you, send them to the shop for you. Just stay inside. Don't go out. Wash your hands. Stay warm. And do what Paddy O'Brien said on the programme yesterday. Just mind yourself. And you'll be okay. You will be okay. Uh, HSE won't test for COVID-19 unless you can prove you've been in contact with someone that has it. I've been sick a week now, showing all the symptoms. I was at the doctor on Sunday. He told me self-isolate and contact the HSE for testing, which I did. I'm being told by them I was going to be tested yesterday by the ambulance service. Then I get a call back about an hour later saying I'm not being tested as I don't fit their criteria. Do we have anything else been through this? Please don't give out my name. How are single parents meant to self-isolate from their children, says Louise in Yall. Good question. Caller and her husband at home with no children. If she was told to self-isolate, her husband has diabetes and a heart condition. Is she safe to be at home in the house with him? See, these are the worries that people have. Now, Martin O'Driscoll is the chairman of Blood Bike South. We haven't spoken for a while. Martin, hello there. Hello, good morning. Now, I think you've been brought in to do some of the sampling runs for COVID-19, have you? Well, we do runs all the time from the hospital in Cork anyway, but definitely since this has broken out over the last two weeks, we've seen a very dramatic increase in the number of runs we're doing uh, to Dublin. Yeah. What size is your operation now? We have about 35 volunteers and we operate 365 days a week uh, a year, um, out of hours from 7 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning and all weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms yeah. of bringing a test like this on the road, I mean, yeah. what precautions are taken? Obviously, it's, it's, it may be a highly contagious sample. Yeah, well, they're sealed. They're, they're sealed uh, samples that come from the, the labs, and then they're in a box, and then we put them into a porter that then is either bought in a car or a bike, and uh, it's not opened again until it gets to the other end of the National Virus Laboratory. So you're picking up, say, at the CUH, you're at the Mercy, and then you're bringing them out up the motorway? Yep, we bring them up the motorway, and we link up with our colleagues in Blood Bike East in up around the Port Leash area, and they link up with all the blood bike groups because we're all doing this. It's not yeah. just us. They're coming from Galway, Limerick, um, the north, everywhere. Great. Uh, it's, a great, all... it's a great operation. Yeah, it's uh, it's been working pretty well. Um, we've been liaising very closely with the labs, so they've been in contact with us, and they've kind of streamlined it so that we aren't making multiple runs, if, avo- if at all possible, at night. Mm-hmm. So we just do one big run. Right. Every evening, uh, everything goes up, and the labs are working 24 hours a day, so the tests, once they get up there, they're being tested, and people have the results. And about uh, how many um, volunteers do you have at the moment, say, here in South? We have, we have about 35 active now. We have uh, kind of volunteers come and go. You know, life gets in people, yeah. kind of gets in the way of people volunteering, but... Our volunteers give a commitment to do one shift a month. Uh, most most of them do that, uh, and then some people do a lot more. You know, we have people who are retired, maybe who wouldn't have the, the kind of work pressing on them as much, and would be able to 
to volunteer a bit more. Um, but yeah, we're we're we're, we're kind of no. There's a, a lot of people doing a lot of work for Good. <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah, will you come under severe pressure, Martin, if this escalates? Um. Yeah, well, I think actually we've probably gone through the most pressure we're going to go through um, because as far as I'm aware, the HSE are moving to a community response model now, which will mean that there'll be low, more localised testing done, mm. um, which should take a bit of the pressure off. There will still be things definitely going um, to, to, the, to the National Virus Lab, but uh, I think that should ease off a little okay. bit. But yeah, it'll it'll I'd say for the next few weeks it'll until this blows over eventually, um, we'll be kept very busy. I'd say all right. Yeah. Okay, well keep up the great work that you're doing in fair play to your heart. That's Martin O'Driscoll from Blood Bike South, uh, up and down the motorway when you and I are asleep in our beds, up and down the motorway they're going with dozens of samples to be taken to the national viral labs to be tested for the for the COVID-19. 1850-715-996. Just tell you at this stage, we have a giveaway all this week with the Clayton Hotel Cork City on Laps Key. Now, it's to celebrate Mother's Day and Easter Sunday. We have a daily prize and a colossal overall prize at the end of the week. Our daily prize is a three-course meal and drinks for two. That's every day. The overall prize, get this, you know they have that gorgeous penthouse in the Clayton on Laps Key. It's fabulous. Well, we'll be giving one lucky couple a night in the penthouse with breakfast for two. But before you spend your night in the penthouse with breakfast for two, we'll also have dinner for you and four guests at the hotel. It's a brilliant prize. We'll give that away Friday. But the daily prize of the dinner with drinks for two people every day this week. And we're asking you to guess our celebrity moms. Three clues to the identity of a celebrity mom. One now, one in the next hour, and one just before we finish. And text or WhatsApp only with your name and the name of our celebrity mom, please, to 083-396-9696. So who is it today? Well, clue number one, we met her first in a 1990s pop group. We met her first in a pop group in the 90s. Who is our celebrity mom for today? We will be returning to coronavirus after 10. Um, and people are very anxious and very distressed and very worried. And sometimes they just don't need to be. So we'll be just looking at how you might manage that. And keep yourself calm. And keep yourself mindful. And, and just center yourself a bit. We'll, we'll be dealing with that after 10. And lots more besides. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Thank you to former Lord Mayor, Councillor Mick Finn, who just sent me a number. That uh, I was very upset by that message from an elderly person. It's just them and their little dog, and she's frightened, and she has COPD. And it's just her and her little dog, and she's worried. Uh, there is a, a special phone number um, that uh, Councillor Mick Finn has sent to me. It's called Senior Line, and it's open from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. The number is one 800 804591. That's 1-800-804-591. Anyone can call that, particularly, of course, elderly people. And the general number for the HSE for there, and again, people are still ringing 999 to ask for information. Please, lads, go easy. It's 1850-24-1850. That's the HSE's information line. 1850 24 
1850. Uh, our number, of course, 1850-715-996. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. And the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Caller says, no sanitizer at the train station. She can't believe it. The bathrooms in the train station aren't exactly clean either. Branches of SuperValue are making more of an effort than Road Erin. We did get on to Irish Rail. They said, while in common with many companies, we have ordered hand sanitizer. The time is significantly higher demand. We would remind customers of the HSE advice that soap and water is equally effective. And we will continue to act on HSE advice at all times. Our cleaning contractors are regularly cleaning bathroom facilities, but we will ensure conditions are reviewed based on the feedback. Certainly the soap and water thing is worth keeping in mind. It is one of the most... The science is out there now, and it's very well explained, even though it's very complex. Soap with warm water. Get a little bit of lather up, just a little bit of lather up, a few bubbles in between your fingers. That's as effective, in fact, not more so, than any hand sanitizer. Because when soap bubbles up like that, there's a chemical in it that actually damages the virus. So soap and water is about the best thing you can be cleaning your hands with. There's a lot of panicking going on and a lot of nervousness and a lot of people fearful. And while we have to be very careful and we have to mind ourselves and mind those around us, and we have to be mindful of what we're being told to do to protect ourselves and our loved ones from this virus. We also shouldn't be panicking and we shouldn't be stressing ourselves unnecessarily. Catherine Hallisey, good morning. Good morning, PJ. You make a point that stress is not good for the immune system anyway. So we need to try and stay as relaxed as possible while all this is going on around us. I think it's so important that we all recognise what we are doing as a society. We are acting based on fear. So most of our actions that we engage in when we're afraid aren't actually very well thought out. So take, for example, the stockpiling of toilet paper and tissues and soap and all of those things. What you're doing is you're acting based on fear, but you are taking it from other people. So people who don't have the money to stockpile are now unable to get soap. When we know that soap is the best thing, you know, for washing your hands, I'm so glad you said that. Like, we don't need to be freaking out about hand sanitizer. Just wash your hands for 20 seconds. Mm. Don't touch your face cough and sneeze into your elbow yeah you know it's really really simple and do all the things that you would normally do to stay healthy get out and go for walks Mm. you know eat healthily drink water get some good sleep do all the things that we know protect your immune system so that whatever happens you are in the best state to be able to fight it if you do get it you know and i think it's really important that we all examine the way we're speaking about this to be saying, oh, it's only affecting the elderly or the immunocompromised. It's like they want to live too. Like they don't want to get sick. And it's so irresponsible for people to be speaking about it like this. I was thinking yesterday of all the people who are sitting at home listening to the radio or watching the news who may be in that category mm. and how it seems like nobody even cares about them. Mm. You know, we all need to be a little bit more civic-minded about this. We are all in this life together. Catherine, you know, if you, yeah, go on, go on, sorry. I was just going to say, if you were going into tons of super value and filling your trolley full of things, you are fueling panic. 
you know, it's like Christmas Eve in the supermarkets. You have to queue so long. Like, I don't know, was nobody washing their hands before? I was just about to ask you about the whole thing. I've been getting photographs sent to me. And, you know, some of them, the when you first get the picture of empty shelves, it's it's mildly amusing. But you have to sit back and think, what's it all about? What What is the idea that we would go to Dunn's and, or Super Value or anywhere and clear them out of toilet roll and clear them out of soap? What's that about? What is in the human condition that drives us to do that? Well, the psychology of it is really interesting. You know, when everything feels out of control, people try and control things. So by stockpiling, people feel that they are controlling it a little bit. But if we can just pause and just take a breath, you know, do the things that are actually going to have an impact, reaching out to other people, you know, seeing do your neighbours need you to go to the shop for them, you know, making sure that your children are coughing into their elbows, like there are things that we can do to protect ourselves and protect other people. You know, yes. we don't need to stockpile soap so that other people can't get it. So if we can all just be a little bit calmer, just take a breath and think of other people as well in how we are talking about it and how we are preparing for it. Yeah. Because these are the kinds of things that are going to increase your immune system. Do you know that actually doing good for other people has a positive impact on your immune system? Really? Yeah, so all that stockpiling, it doesn't actually even do your immune system any good. Yeah. It, it gives you a semblance of control and it reduces your fear a little bit. But it's far better to address your fear through taking a few deep breaths, yeah. going for a walk, eating healthily and connecting with people. All of the things that are proven to have a positive impact on your immune system as well. Like, and, and those are, that's good, solid advice for those of us who are adults and who can who can process these things in a mature and adult way and put these things into in this little... I, I like to think of my, my head as a collection of little boxes and if everything is in its box, then it's in the right place and that, that works. But for children, and I, I've, I've heard a lot of people talking, Catherine, about their school children who are very, very worried. And, you know, a little eight-year-old head can make up all sorts of nightmares and telling children that they probably won't get it anywhere because for some reason children seem to be virtually immune to the thing. They're frightened. How do we deal with our kids here? You know, I've been thinking about that quite a lot. The most important thing is turn off the news, reduce your children's exposure and give them some information that's factual, that's clear and let them see you can. Let them see you handling this and taking this in your stride. That's the most important thing. I have very mixed feelings about all the posters around the schools. I think that is actually fueling anxiety, okay. you know, all we need to do is like keep going, telling our children to wash their hands for 20 seconds, sing the happy birthday song twice, get the lather up like you're saying. You know, there were just very, very basic things to do. And um, all of the posters and all of the talk about it is just fueling this anxiety and fueling the fear-based behaviour. And we know we make poor decisions when we're afraid. I suppose public buildings like schools, you know, the HSE... We'll put posters into them, I suppose, as part of a public health initiative. Yes, but we have to balance the impact of this on children. You know, so just 
just reminders about washing their hands. Stop washing hands posters. It doesn't necessarily have to be about coronavirus yeah. or COVID-19. You know, just reinforce the coughing, you know, how to cough to protect other people. Yeah. Reinforce all those things, but we don't need to have fear-based posters. Yes. We don't need to have fear-based talk. We need to talk about it about being civic-minded. About if you have a cough, protect other people around you by coughing in this way or by putting your tissue in the bin and going to wash your hands. Just very calm, very factual. And if you push it as you are protecting other people, you are also giving children a little boost to, to their own self-esteem and their own feel-good factor, their own immune system will be improved by this. How important is it that we discuss our concerns about work and possible isolation and, and possible changes to our work, that we discuss that when the children are out of the room? I think it's really important, you know, children should only be in discussions that are age-appropriate and that they need to be in. So I feel that bad news should be limited for children anyway. There's strong research to show that this is what we should be doing. Children need to know what's going on in the world. You want them to have the information because they're going to get it in the playground. You want them to have factual information. You want them to hear it for a calm, regulated adult who is very positive and in control and demonstrating capacity to cope with fear. And I would even talk to children about recognizing fear-based behavior in other people and saying, look, you're going to see a lot of even adults doing things that are based in fear. Mm. And it's important that you just recognize that that's what's fueling this. Mm. And like I'm even recognizing, you know, moments of fear and anxiety in myself, you know, and just observing it, especially yesterday I was on my computer a lot, so I was getting a lot of emails about it. Mm. And I could recognize the, the building anxiety within myself. And I just knew that I needed to take a few breaths yeah. and just it. chill out of it. Get back from it. Now, in particular, we also have elderly people um, who, and you, you said at the start, like we, we, we certainly should be careful how we speak about them, but they are a high-risk group. They've heard it, that they're a high-risk group. How would we, how do we help our elderly relatives and loved ones to get through this? Connect with them. Talk to them. Ask them, do they need anything? Ask them, are they worried? Just talk to them and see what they need and be very kind and sensitive and recognize no matter what age you are you don't want to get sick you, you feel you still got life in you mm. and my grandmother was in her 80s she used to always say I don't want to die you know she's like I still feel like I'm 25 so recognize that we are all of equal value and just reach out and see what people need you know I'm so glad that you um, and that McFinn rang in with that number like this is the kind of thing that we need to do. We need to be seeing what do people need? How can we reach out? How can we help? What acts of kindness can we do? That'll protect us all. It'll boost our immune system. But you, and also for our children, we want to model what being a good citizen looks like. It isn't stockpiling toilet paper. It's checking in to see what do other people need. Okay. All right. Listen, Catherine, leave it there. As always, a pleasure to talk to you. That's our resident opinion line psychologist, Catherine Hallisey. Thank you. 1850-715-996. Yeah, that number again for any elderly people or any elderly relative of yours that might have said to you,
I'm worried. What do I do? There's a special number, 1800 804 591. That is the senior line number, 1800 804 591. Again, our thanks to Councillor Mick Finn for sending that in. And the HSE number is 1850 1850. And of course, their website is hse.ie. And lots of people said, so we can't believe the HSE from one end of the to the other. Listen, on this occasion, on this occasion, let's give them a pass. Let's give them a pass for a while at least with regard to information, all right? But whatever you do, don't be ringing 999 to find out about coronavirus. That is just plain silly. Because all you get is a dispatcher who wants to know, do you need an ambulance, a fire brigade, or a guard, or the Coast Guard? They don't know nothing about it, about coronavirus. If you need information, 1850-24-1850. Gilabi Vets, this is interesting. Gilabi Vets say because the situation is ever-changing, they now have guidelines on this too, the World Veterinary Association guidelines. At the moment, there is no evidence that pets like cats and dogs can catch or spread coronavirus. There were some stories, if I remember correctly, there were some stories came in over the last week or two from Hong Kong and Singapore and Korea and I think one or two from China as well about pets transmitting. That, that, that has not been proven. At the moment, there is no evidence, none, that pets can either catch or spread coronavirus. As regards the train station, I just had a message uh, from Sharon who said in response to the comments, she said, I use the train every week. The one thing that stands out to me is every time I use the ladies, there's a, train, a lady cleaning there constantly. In fairness, I, I always hit the smiley face on the board, you know, the little, are you pleased today, when I leave to, to show my appreciation. Mortgage and rent should be suspended for a month for people forced to self-isolate for 14 days and done without penalties. That comes from Barry Murphy, president of the Cork Council of Trade Unions. And I see a story on the news wires this morning that in Italy, the government in Italy has been asked to or have they moved? That story is rolling. They may, they, I would think that in, in Italy, they've suspended mortgage pay, payments for a month that no one has to spend, has to meet their mortgage requirement this month while the country is in lockdown. If you're due to pay a mortgage while the country is in lockdown, they're going to give you a month off. That's the story coming in from Italy this morning. 1850-715-996. All right, look, I've no doubt we'll come back to this before 12 today because it is the biggest story in the world at the moment. But we want to change the subject. Claire wants us to change the subject. Yeah, probably take a break from it. But I've not look, let's just get used to it. This is gonna be with us for a while. And if it gets worse, it'll be with us even more. Sorry, when it gets worse. Because it will get worse. It's just a question of how we deal with it. But for now, we'll change the subject. 1850-715-996. The opinion line on Courts 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's filling station Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood, and gas. SolidFuelDepot.ie The Takeover On Cork's 96FM Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up 
Just on Catherine Hallasy, Mark and Bantry says that's a very sensible person. We can control this by being sensible and calm. Yes, Catherine is a, is a rocker sense. We love having her on the program. 1850-715-996. McCurtain Street was recently described in a review as seedy. Would you mind? One reviewer on TripAdvisor who was staying in Isaac's said that the hotel, now they were very complimentary complimentary about the hotel, but it was on a street that was kind of seedy. In particular, they commented on, and it's one of the most lovely features in all of Cork, is that waterfall there inside by Isaac's, just next to Cask, inside by Isaac's, that lovely waterfall in there. They, they 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 love that. They loved that. But they said, I felt a charm about the waterfall. But I wish I really hadn't looked at the map location because they thought it was a bit seedy. The uh, general manager of Isaacs was not impressed. Arthur Little, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you doing? I have to say, I was wondering, (laughs) did he visit the same street as I visited from time to time? What did you think when you read this? Uh, Look... You know, I think the the review in a way sort of says it all. I sort of we 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 put a big focus on the the if if we were to guess negative reviews, um, because we know that every single guest that comes to an area wants to see a little bit of the gossip and a little bit of the sort of um, negative side of, of things that go on, because they feel they feel I think that gives them a, a particular view on the place, and I I recognise that. So I would always use a negative review to upsell everything that we do in the property. My my issue really was that um, six years in this property um, and this street has gone from, you know, really probably, unfortunately, being a little bit seedy to being something completely different. This is a modern European street now. It's wide, it's got beautiful buildings, it's got excellent restaurants and bars, it's got great accommodation and it's growing and it's probably the density of investment in this part of town is the heaviest throughout the whole of Cork City and probably County. We have numerous hotels planned for it, we have numerous office blocks and they're being built sensitivity and they are also being developed uh, in line with the sort of architectural vibe of the city. So a lot of these buildings are are turning into iconic buildings Mm. um, as well. You know, albeit they're very modern, some of them, but they really do express a personality. So, yeah, I just felt it needed a response. You know, I did acknowledge that she had lots of nice things to say about us, but I didn't want that word CD going out about Cork City, never mind McCartan Street, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose at the moment, to be fair, Arthur, there is, a, you mentioned you mentioned roadworks, there's a lot of that going on, and that huge building project up there just at the corner. Um, yeah, but that's positive. I mean, you know, the, the, at the time when when uh, that person was here, the, the city council were making a huge effort over ten or eleven months, and we all had to be very patient. But we now end, we've ended up with a, a very modern and very uh, what would you say um, uh, a clean water system, and uh, there's no leaks anymore in McCurtain Street, and the water's not brown anymore. So that's positive. So it's reduced water. Currently, there's something similar happening in that there's an old building 
which was a bit of a ruin, it's been completely redeveloped into, you know, quite a nice little hotel. So, you know, that that's positive. There's there's always going to be a bit of messing while that's going on, but they're 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 trying to be safe and they're doing the best to control the traffic. Yeah. But um, you know, I've never had an opportunity before to mention the waterfall on on the right. air. I love yeah. it. What's the history of that? Well, we're we're quite fond of it too, and I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, so the history goes back to about 1995 when the restaurant was opened. The, the the restaurant essentially is up up the back of a building, and usually that would be a hard place to sell a restaurant. But so a feature needed to be created that would draw people in and create a focal point within the restaurant. And um, Richard Evans, the owner at the time, was scratching his head and he realised, this beautiful rock face, a big glass window would be great, and why not? Let, let's have a look at the, basically creating a large fountain. So there's two big pumps that drive water around that waterfall and it creates this beautiful sound. So the bedrooms opening up onto the courtyard can hear the splashing of water all the time. It's, it's quite a new... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. In the center of the city. What we've done recently is we fitted a heat pump onto the waterfall. So we're actually pulling um, some of the heat value out of that waterfall because it's facing. So we're putting that through a heat exchanger into really? a heat pump, and it's helping us out with with our heating costs and our, our, our water water heating costs. As you know, heating water from the lower temperatures is very expensive. Um, so this is really we won an award recently for it. So we're we're we're, we're particularly thrilled with it. So you're right that it is oh, a feature. Listen, you won't tis, tis, task on that. It is one of the nicest places you can just sit with a quiet pint on a summer's evening. It's beautiful. It really is yeah. beautiful, absolutely. Yeah. And we recently put in a couple extra canopies as well, so it's quite it's quite weatherproof now as well, which is wonderful. Fantastic, fantastic. Listen, Arthur, uh, McCurtain Street is, is is the last place in the world you would describe <laughs> as 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 seedy. But uh, thank you for standing well, up for its honour. And why wouldn't well, you, since you and you they're bus- doing business there for years? Thank you. Well, we're trying to think of it now, not so much McCurtain Street as a Victorian quarter, and that's yeah. really, it, 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 it's so much more than, than McCurtain Street. It's Brian Baru Street, it's it's uh, Patrick's Key, it's, you know, Camden Key, and it's right up up, up around Beetham Street and, and McCurtain Street as well. And of course, with the with the Thompson House being redeveloped as well, and we've got the glass curtain coming in, mm. and, and uh, uh, the Cotton Ball Brewery is opening as well. Know, so it's really, it's really firing along. A lot of old plastic nationalists would, would get uppity at the Victorian Quarter name. Yeah. Do you get much call for people saying, come on now? Do you get much, well, much, much people cribbing about that? No, I mean, it, it's not really. I mean, no more than you hear people talking about it. I mean, King George was no, no, no uh, beautiful man. Like, you know, you don't hear pe- people giving out about George in Dublin. And it's very much... It's the same track, you know. It's, it's a Victorian area, Victorian architecture. It's the pinnacle of Victorian architecture. I mean, the the money that was in Cork City in the in the the late eighteen sixties was incredible. It was a massive economy, and you could just see it. I mean, this building here was a confectionery uh, factory. 
I mean, if you look at the front of that building and they were making sweets inside, it's just extraordinary what they did. Never mind the Metropole, which followed on in about 1890. You know, it's just pinnacle of that Victorian architecture and that's the best way to describe it. It's not any judgment on, on some woman who died in whatever it was, nineteen oh three or nineteen oh two. It's yeah. not about that. It's it's about identifying a period that lasted sixty five years or okay. however long it lasted. All right. Okay, leave it there for now. Thanks very much. Arthur Little uh, from Isaac's Hotel jumping to the defence of Curtin Street and the Victorian Quarter and why wouldn't he? 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with 7 day delivery SolidFuelDepot.ie Access all areas on Cork's 96FM Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. The Lonesome West by Martin McDonough returns to the Everyman for 10 performances and in 2018, under the direction of the artistic director Julie Kelleher McDonough's vicious comedy became a huge hit with audience and critics alike It opens at the Everyman on April 8th From playing the role of Owen McLove on Father Ted to portraying many hilarious characters on Naked Camera and many other shows, Patrick O'Connell is no stranger to Irish television screens He's also well used to getting up on stage performing his stand-up routine and you have a chance to catch him again this Saturday night when he plays City Limits Comedy Club on Coburg Street. Access all areas. Ash first burst onto the scene in 1994 and they've just released Teenage Wildlife 25 Years of Ash. The trio are set to play a rare cork date on Thursday, April 9th when they play Cypress Avenue with tickets on sale now from cypressavenue.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. This came up briefly yesterday. We just mentioned it in passing on the show, and we'd said we'd come back to it today. It was a good piece of the Southern Star about the principal of a West Cork primary school who's written a strongly worded letter to parents, telling them they need to step up when it comes to their children's smartphone use. It's uh, Kilmeane National School in Rossmore, which is near Clonakilty, and the principal there is Kenneth McCarthy, and it's it's break time now, so get a quick word with him. Kenneth, Kenneth good, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Um, what level of smartphone use is going on? And First of all, it's, it's, a, it's a national school. I would have thought that little young ones of 8 or 9 or 10 wouldn't have smartphones, or am I out of touch? No, well, I suppose it's mostly our, our senior pupils, so the pupils of fifth class and sixth class that they, they usually get them for confirmations or for their 12th birthday. And it's, you know, it's usually after Christmas time or, you know, at Christmas time as well, these, these problems usually arise. And here we are again, it has arisen again. And it seems to be more year on year, it seems to be getting worse. So um, I suppose that we took the initiative. We didn't, we, we're, not direct, we're not directing parents to ban them completely. We just wanted to see, first of all, the feel from what's out there. Yeah. And um, I suppose all the staff here, we, we all went into teaching, you know, not just to teach, but because we care for, for, for kids. And, you know, we see the damage that these smartphones have been doing in recent years. We said, look, we'll tr- try this out. Um, so we, we sent out the letter last week and we got the results back. Um, I was pleasantly shocked in a way that 96% of parents have come back saying that they support the school's proposal that children should be smartphone free in their primary yeah. school years which was massive. Brilliant. So you're not saying to them, look, don't buy 
the smartphone for no, Sean or Mary. No. Just don't have them bring it to school. No, and I think what it, what it also does, it releases pressure from parents um, in, in that, you know, like if, the, if, the, if they all know that, look, there's no one in the school really going to be having phones here until maybe secondary school, then you're not getting a smartphone. See, what, what, what's, what we found was happening was like pa- parents are told by their kids, oh, everyone else in the class has one. But that, not, that would not necessarily be a fact. But then the parents are feeling guilty. They're guilt-tripped into getting these phones for their kids. And then nearly everyone has one then. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You noticed that uh, youngsters were coming to school in fifth and sixth class exhausted from being up with the phone all night. Yeah, there was that. There was, um, and like we'd hear comments, we'd say, "Oh, look, I, you know," you'd see a child come in yawning and say, "Are you tired?" And then another child would be in the background saying, "Oh, yeah," because he or she was, you know, they were sending me texts at three o'clock in the morning or whatnot. So that 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 that's one issue. There was the issue of, um, I suppose, I, I like so you know bullying going on, uh, inappropriate names, uh, inappropriate content being explored, and kids, I suppose, they're naturally. Um, curious at that age um they're entering kind of a difficult stage in their life they're entering the pre-teen age and they they will explore and they will come across content that isn't suitable yeah. for for anyone free or lots of people you know but um but i suppose i just want to make it clear too that our kids here we're very far we're very good community here we've got a great great parents association brilliant kids brilliant staff uh, great board of management so i mean we're just kind of working to help the community and we do we do have the support and blessing of the board and, and the support of the, the parent association. So we we got that first before we sent it out. Do you know? Yeah. Do, do do you have or have you had bullying over phones? Um. Yeah, we have. Um. Last year there was. Um. This year a little bit. Um. Uh, also, what we found. Um. Nothing terrible. But what 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 kind of what kind of upsets us in one sense is that you'd have some certain kids or for whatever reason maybe the parents can't afford or maybe they're making a smart stance in actually saying I'm not buying my child a phone you can see it in those kids faces when the other kids are talking about some interaction that happened at home that evening in, the, in a whatsapp group or whatever and those kids are being left out they're feeling isolated and they're feeling socially excluded by the fact that, that they don't have a phone yeah. uh, and that's tough you know, that's yeah, also a part of I suppose part of our bullying procedure is look isolation, and this is isolation out of not out of choice, but out of just circumstance, and that's that's we don't think that's that's right. Yeah. You know, like I mean, you'd prefer I suppose if they didn't have them at all, let alone not bring them to school. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Well, luckily enough, we have um, we have no mobile reception in Kilmeny National School, so they don't bring them to school. Um, they do it, these issues kind of the mobile phone usage stems from outside of school time and i suppose one thing that we have kind of noticed as well is like these interactions like parents have come to us crying about issues that have happened online even kids with a, their own child would have been exposed to inappropriate con- language from a child in another place or a child in another or an adult or whoever they are no known person that they would have come across online but like what we'd find then is we'd have to investigate that in line with our policies, but that takes up huge amount of teaching time. And what you also have is you've got you know kids come to school to learn, but like that learning is being deprived because of um, yeah. time spent investigating incidences that would have happened as per se outside of school. Yeah. So the message I think going out from don't bring them to school and preferably don't buy them at all. Absolutely. 
yeah. Like, I, I, I just think, I feel that the results of our letter in our school will give, you know, our parents great support and confidence in keeping smartphones out of, you know, their own child's hands for their duration okay. of the primary school years. Just on the, the subject that is dominating us um, today and probably will for quite a while to come, the, the virus. We, we know from the experts, at least we understand from the experts, that children... Are, they're not they're not quite immune, but certainly it has little or no effect on them other than snuffles. Mm. But trying to prevent them passing it on to one another and trying to prevent them bringing it home to elderly loved ones or relatives or granny or granddad, um, is the Department of Education helping out? Um, I suppose we're told um, by the Department of Education, we got a letter there um, last week just basically advising schools what to do in the case of, you know, in other words, don't close the school, um, um, you know, they will contact us, this kind of thing that we're hearing on the news a lot. But I suppose from a point of view of, um, in school, what we're seeing is we're quite, we're seeing a spike in anxiety among kids. Um, we're also, I suppose, primary schools, they're not, we're not adequately funded. Um, by the department, this has been a case for since the recession. Um, we're not given enough funds by the Department of Education for for cleaning staff, for cleaning products. Um, they say it's the board of management that has to manage that, but that's all well and good when you know the funds aren't given to schools. Um, uh, and you know, I suppose in times like this, I think a little bit of leadership and you know give schools a little bit more funds. Kids, by nature, you know, they they'll do they'll do their best to wash their hands and you know, to, to do that. But they'll, you know, they'll drop something on the floor and sometimes they might pick it up and eat it, you know, just, yeah. um, they mightn't be as hygienically um, aware as, you know, as, as adults would be. But I, ideally, I suppose, look, we'd be looking, I think primary schools would all agree that if we, if schools were adequately resourced by the Department of Education, especially in times like this, that we'd be able to maybe do another clean a week or another, um, you know, get more products. Okay. Um, to, to, for cleaning schools would be ideal. Yeah. A, bit, a, a bit more help uh, from the department wouldn't go amiss. Thank you very much. Kenneth McCarthy from Kilmeen National School. I know you need to get back after the break. So thank you for taking our call. 1850-715-996. Now, we knew about this and we got word of this this morning very early. Uh, we wanted to check it and back check it and whatever. It's been It's been confirmed now. Uh, a case of coronavirus has been confirmed at Apple in Holly Hill. I'm reading from the Echo Live website, uh, Roisin Burke writing, in an email seen by the Echo, it was confirmed to employees last night that an Apple worker was tested after feeling unwell last week. Results have come back positive for the coronavirus. The employee left the office as soon as they felt unwell. In a staff email, company officials said they were working closely with the HSE who have reviewed the case and believe the risk to other employees is low. A number of other staff members have been now told to self-isolate to prevent the spread of the virus. Uh, another email, just reading from the email, which is quoted in the Echo Live, out of an abundance of caution, we wanted you to know that we've asked those employees who were in the immediate working environment with the individual to self-isolate and not come into the office for an initial 48-hour period. We're also continuing our deep cleaning protocols at all office areas. Now, I'm just a little bit thrown by that because the person who's been diagnosed is gone off to self-isolate. But the people who were in direct contact with them have been told self-isolate and not come in 
for an initial 48-hour period. But isn't self-isolation meant to be two weeks? Haven't we heard that you can come into contact with the virus today and you mightn't show any symptoms for six, seven days? So why 48 hours? Are you going to send them home again at the weekend? That's interesting. But definitely what we have is a confirmed case on the campus at Apple in Cork. That brings the total south of the border in Ireland to 24 confirmed cases. We also don't know whether this is, or do we? We don't know whether this is community sourced. We don't know whether this person was away. They're not using the gym anymore at Apple. Uh, Restrictions are in place to ensure staff safety. If they need access to the doctor on site, they have a staff doctor. Uh, They may use a gym or doctor off campus and then they'll be reimbursed by the company for whatever that costs them, which is fair enough. But we now have 24 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Ireland, one of them on the campus at Apple. 1850-715-996. Just on the school and on Kenneth McCarthy, Duncan says uh, this is a huge concern for our children. Parents need to wake up to their responsibilities and the dangers of smartphones. I, for one, am prepared to be that uncool dad. I'm a parent, not a friend. And Jerry says phones shouldn't be in secondary schools either. Uh, from 12 and 13 upwards, they spend their time in school on Snapchat, texting and text and sexting others during school hours. The teachers know this, but do nothing about it. Phones shouldn't be in schools. Simple as. On coronavirus, do you need to be tested by the GP or will the GP organise it to get a sick cert? Will a testing zone be set up as the symptoms seem very similar to the common cold, to get an absolute definitive answer. They are very similar to the common cold in the early stages, except you get a tightness in your chest. Uh, That HSE number again, for any information like that, 1850, 24, 1850. Miss Ellie wants to know, is anyone considering taking their kids out of school as a precaution? My nephew spends a lot of time with my parents, both have underlying health problems. There was a rumour flying around Twitter last night. I saw it two or three times. It's not true. There was a rumour going around that when the schools break up for the Patrick's Day weekend, that they won't be coming back until after Easter. That, at the moment, is not true. Okay? That's not true at the moment. Not yet anyway. Yeah. Not yet anyway. This may change. This thing is dynamic. It's changing very fast. But the rumour that was going around, and it was going around like wildfire. In fact, someone put up on my timeline this morning on Twitter that he checked from five different sources. It's not happening. It's a, now, we wouldn't completely discount it. Uh, we've got some well-placed sources in, the, in education circles. We wouldn't discount it completely. But at the moment, it is not happening. 1850-715-996. Again, that number, if you want any information, go to the HSE website. They've got loads of it there. <laughs> you know, let's give them a pass on this rather than bang, bashing them as we do all the time and deservedly so an awful lot of the time. Let's give them a pass. They've got a information-packed website and they also have uh, the number 1850-24-1850. The 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cozy nights in. SolidFuelDepot.ie Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix online. Turn it up right now. Our new streaming platform playing the freshest hits all the time. Hi, I'm Demi. Listen on our app or click 96FM.ie this is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 On Court's 96FM. You might have seen this story in the last few days coming from Formoy. Um, Formoy is twinned with a place in Poland called Nova Deba or Nova Deba depending on how you want to pronounce your W's in Polish. Nova Deba. It's one of about 100 Polish areas that have declared themselves LGBT-free and have adopted resolutions uh, against what they call LGBT ideology and propaganda. And activists in Poland now boast that around a third of the country is essentially an LGBT-free zone. Now, I'm not too sure they knew too much about that happening down in Formoy, but since it has happened, uh, Councillor Noel McCarthy, uh, Fine Gael Councillor for the area, uh, they have decided now to scrap their twinning arrangement with... Uh, they've decided to scrap their twinning arrangement with uh, Nova. Noah, Noah Deba, Noah Deba. Thanks for the pronunciation assistance. They've decided to scrap it. I was kind of shocked in the first place to read this. That any particular area in any country in the modern world, given that, you know, sorry now, but one person in ten is gay. This we know. One person in ten is gay. I don't know what the stats for someone being on the LGBT spectrum, as it were, but certainly one person in ten is gay. Um, there's there he is now, thanks to uh, Councillor Noel McCarthy. Were you shocked to discover that Noah Deba had done this? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, we were. We were absolutely shocked. It was only about two weeks ago we got the the word that the, the news broke that uh, Noah Deba had been a, a Polish district or a district in Poland that had decided to do this and we were shocked as you know we're twinned from I is twinned with Noah Deba as well as a town in France Clamier and we were very much a fierce concern we had when we heard it and obviously it's a dis- discrimination against the LGBT community and we felt that we had to act in it so what I did, um, we, the twinning um, committee in Formoy contacted us as the council because they're an agent of the council, of Park County Council, and I decided to put a motion in for our next week's meeting to ter- either to terminate or suspend our relationship with Nova Deba till they decide to change their stance on this. What's the connect, or what's the history of the connection anyway? I can't say it's a place that would trip easily off my tongue if I was asked to name a district in Poland. No, it's it's, it's a twin. We we ha- we're with. I think we're um, twinned with them since about two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. We ha- they had an, at least one visit, if not two visits here. And I know the group from the twinning group visited them on at least one or two occasions. How did it I come about in the first place? 
well, I suppose, you know, with twinning is so, with all twinnings, you, you make contact with a, a certain town in a, a, in a different country, and all for the right reasons for culture, education, most important thing being tourism, trying to promote your towns in that particular country, and also then you have a good social aspect of it when visits take place to either country. So it's, it's one that we did because I think primarily the town where we're, we're twinned with in, in France had had a relationship with them as well. So I think that's how this came about, that we got in We twinned with Noah Debe in Poland. Have you wrote, uh, have you written to your opposite number in Noah Debe saying, lads, cop on, we're, we're out? Well, that's exactly what we're doing. As you know, we have to do it officially, Neil, and our first, our PJ, and our first um, meeting is taking place tomorrow week, the 18th of March, and that's why I have the motion down officially that with my colleagues, we will decide, uh, hopefully make the right to Noah Deba, but while we're doing that, we'll suspend straight away till we get an answer back till they change their stance on this. That is the way I've worded my motion, that we'll take action straight away and not lift this country, because as I say, it's a discrimination, it's a backward step I feel what they're doing, and they can't discriminate like this and be able to get away with it. All right, okay. It's a bit like saying if, if they if if they were going to allow no Jews in there or allow no black people yes. in there, you know, it's yes. that's just daft. All right, Noel, thank. Have you had any official response from that the other end? No, no, we had not either the twinning committee because we had a meeting, uh, a special meeting last night, had no response from them, and we as council had no response. But hopefully, after our meeting next week, and if you want me to come back to give you an update, I'd be delighted. We will write, we will tell them how how, how strongly we feel about their stance, and, hope, and we will hopefully suspend till we get a reply back. All right, thanks very much for taking the call, Councillor Noel McCarthy in North Cork, where the twinning of Formoy with Noah Deba in. Poland has been suspended and will be scrapped if they don't change their stance on the LGBT community. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Kevin says, hang on, read them trolley numbers again. They can't be right. I will, Kev. I'll open the email. I get the email every day from the uh, Trolley Watch people, so I will check that and go back to you because it does sound a little bit bizarre, but I will. 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Crazy for Cali happens this hour. You'll hear the text to, or the cue to call, rather, the cue to text to WhatsApp. When you hear it, and only when you hear it, text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 to play Crazy for Cali. We'll call somebody back and you know how you need to answer your phone. Don't say hello. You say I'm Crazy for Cali with Cork's 96. And that comes up this hour. Another chance to win a place at our final in Barcadia on Friday the 13th. Lucky for somebody. 1850-715-996. I mentioned Cope Foundation before... 11 o'clock, just after 10, we started getting text messages from people saying that they'd heard a rumour that COPE was closing, that a text had gone out or a message had gone out to parents that COPE was closing. Chief Executive Sean Abbott, not true. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. No, it's not true. COPE Foundation is not closing. Okay, what is happening? We are preparing um, for the for coronavirus and the event of a, of a spread of infection across our services. Um, so we've been planning and preparing contingency plans, etc., about uh, how to manage the event if it strikes us. So we sent a text out yesterday so to family members of day services, just 
I suppose, informing them what we were doing, asking, giving them advice on what to do in the event of a family member contracting or being suspected of contracting coronavirus. Mm. So we explained things like hand-washing, hygiene, cough, sneeze, etiquette, etc. But we also mentioned that we may have to, at some stage in the future, curtail services. Mm. So really what we were doing was just preparing people uh, for the possibility right. of closures in the future. But at the moment, everything is according to plan. We're following the, gu- the guidelines from the HSE and from the Department of Health at the moment, and we have not been advised that we need to close any services at the current time. Okay. I suppose with, with so many people, service users, clients, whatever the correct term is these days, with underlying health issues, you do have to be exceptionally careful in COPE, don't you? We have a, a large number of very vulnerable people, and our priority at all times is to protect the people we support, their families and our staff so we can maintain services. So yes, we have a a, a large cohort of of the people we support who are very vulnerable and have very complex medical issues that we need to be cognizant of. And we're taking every measure that we possibly can to make sure we protect them. Okay. All right. And any, any, any further updates? Um, yeah. What I would ask is if parents do have concerns, to yes. contact their local li- managers and they will explain the situation for that particular service or support. But, you know, we're trying to contact families um, on a more regular basis. Mm. So if we could get more up-to-date emails from families, if we could get more into up-to-date contact details from people, we'd really appreciate it to help us to get in contact with them. We are going to be issuing correspondence today to families. That would take a couple of days to get there because it's on a postal system. We won't be able to get everybody by email. So if people could contact us with the email okay. addresses that we could contact them, it'd be fantastic and help us greatly. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Ha- happy to let you clarify that, uh, Sean. Sean Abbott, uh, Chief Executive of COPE Foundation. COPE is not closing. They are putting a plan together for dealing with coronavirus should it become necessary to take steps. They are putting a plan in place. But for now, everything in COPE Foundation is operating as normal. If you have any queries, contact your local centre or your local line manager, whoever your particular loved one deals with or whoever you deal with, contact them. Uh, But there was a rumour flying around that Cope Foundation was to close. Not true. Happy to clarify. Uh, Callers just been to their GP in Carrigaline and they're thinking of closing uh, and just doing all patient contact on the phone. Only two patients now allowed in at a time. We've also spoken ourselves to a couple of GPs who are bringing in phone-only protocols at the moment. And, of course, the difficulty there is you could be phoning time and time again. We were getting a lot of messages yesterday from people who were phoning and phoning and phoning and phoning and getting no reply. And this morning I spoke to uh, Dr John Sheen, the Lord Mayor, and he said, yeah, they're doing their level best to keep up with phones or phone calls rather. On WhatsApp with regard to COVID-19, Mary says it's quite shocking that no checks whatsoever take place when you enter or exit an Irish airport. A family member drew this issue to the attention of staff at the airport and got this response. We've no infection here. He responded that you soon will with your lack of preventative measures from your government. He works with the UN, currently based in South Sudan, the world's youngest country, who to date have no cases of COVID-19. When you enter the country, as you disembark the plane, you're met by a staff member at the steps with a hand sanitizer for each individual to use before your feet even touch the ground. A stitch in time saves nine, proven by effective forward thinking, promotes control and containment, and well done 
South Sudan. 1850-715-996. This came up on the programme yesterday and we did reach out to uh, Port of Cork for a statement and they did give us one, which I will bring to you in a minute. But Avril, you're very annoyed about... We have 107 cruise, laser, cruise liners due in uh, Cove over this year. First one, I think, is coming as, as early as Friday. And you're concerned. Good morning. Yeah, I, I am. I'm concerned. I wrote to the Port of Cork um, and got no reply. I wrote twice. I contacted the municipal um, in Cove and they referred me to the HSC. I contacted the HSC. I got nothing back. Um, the only thing I got back was literally on our own Facebook page here in Rushbrook Links that there was something in place. Um, but it was just literally something general with with any boats coming in. Um, but we've two arriving. We've two arriving in a small town, and um, on in this month. Next month we have nine. In May we have nineteen. Mm. So you can imagine, like um, sometimes there's up to two and a half, sometimes three, four thousand people on these boats. They, they get off the boats. Um, then the buses arrive and they're all ferried up to to um, Blarney Woolen Mills and the Blarney Stone to kiss the stone and all of that kind of thing. But at the same time, a lot of people stay behind and they hang out then around Cove. Um, but it is, there's been... No, we'd just like to know what kind of precautions are, are being put in place for this. Even the tour operators um, or the tour guides on the buses haven't had any briefings yet either, you know. So it's just... It's concerning, yeah. We've a small town. We've had at least, is it definitely two, and I think three cruise liner issues around the world now because... There's three or four. In fact, um, there's one very good one, the one on the Princess. There's a a chap there has written a blog of his experience Mm. of being stuck on a cruise. But it's just the fact that people are getting off. Um, We don't know what kind of precautions that the cruise has put in place or that the tours have put in place. And I know people, I've been talked to other people and people in the town, the restaurants and the bars, they are concerned about it because, you know, we're a small, small little town. And if if a situation happened in Cove in so much that we can be cut off, we've only one bridge into the town, in into mm. the Great Island. So it is concerning. And it's just that it's, it ne- nobody has mentioned these liners coming in and what... Mm precautions could be taken. Yeah, uh, They did issue a statement, uh, it's quite lengthy now, but the opening line uh, uh, sets the tone. Port of Cork is following all necessary guidelines from HSE. Cruise ship tourism offers no higher risks compared to tourists visiting Cork via airports or public transport. However, following dialogue with HSE concerning coronavirus, the Port of Cork will ensure that all vessels and their agents must complete the Maritime Declaration of Health to Safe Seas Ireland. And they've also implemented a number of measures, eight in number, just briefly to go through them. Passenger details must be notified ahead to the Port Authority by the cruise liner. Local tourism ambassadors will not be boarding the vessel until further notice. So that's that, that particular interaction has been stopped. Tourism information will be emailed directly to the vessel. All vessels should have an adequate supply of hand sanitation for passengers and crew at all points of disembarkation. All vessels will display the appropriate information relating to COVID-19 in public areas. Passengers should disembark promptly and proceed to excursion buses. Please do not linger. It's just a a, a lot of different Mm. things. The cruise line should notify all official tour operators to ensure all buses are sanitised. 
prior to passengers boarding. No unnecessary ship visits are to be scheduled. Visitors will be stopped by port security until the ship has verified the visit is essential. And no shore visitors will be allowed, like travel agents, schools visits, and whatever. Uh, there's a bit more in there, but it's, uh, yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot. But they are, they yeah, say, having, taking having, steps. Having said that, they're, they're taking steps. But if, if anybody was listening to Care Burn live last night, um, I'm afraid I don't, I'm, I'm not comfortable with, with that, with the fact that these ships are coming directly into such a small town. I just so so do you think that they should, they should cancel the visits? I don't know. Of course, it's all about money these days. You know, it's all it's all to do, with, uh, and I can understand that. It brings mm. business in and everything else. I can understand that side of it. But at the same time, um, how can you? How can anybody uh, trace how where any of these people have come from? You know. Well, I suppose I mean, they would have. A, I suppose they would have a full passenger manifest. Yeah, but if somebody was coming onto a ship uh, two or three days uh, beforehand. Um, where were where were they for the previous? Yeah. you know, it is a two week. Again, lap, it's because so. this thing takes so long to manifest itself in terms yeah. of symptoms. They, they also quote uh, in their statement here, the Port of Cork. They quote the Cruise Lines International Association. Uh, they say they have adopt, uh, ad- advanced screening measures. For example, they are presently denying boarding to all people who travelled from, visited, or transited via. South Korea, Iran, China, including Hong Kong and Macau, or any municipality in Italy subject to quarantine measures by the Italian government as designated by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So if you've been to China or Iran or Korea or Italy in the last while, uh, you can forget about getting on your cruise liner. I know, but um, I still don't. I don't know. As I said, as I listened to Claire Byrne last night, um, it was quite... I mean, I have an immune situation going on myself so yeah. I live alone so I'm, I'm self-isolating it's as simple as that I'm just just staying away from it all okay. but I'm just still concerned about it you know and I'm, I know my friend who's a tour uh, tour guide is, yeah. is concerned herself about there's, it. There's you usually know? a fairly big uh, greeting for most of the large cruise liners in, in, in Cove bands oh, yeah. playing and people come out to see I suppose oh, that yeah. won't be happening this, this Friday at least. Uh, I don't know I don't know honest i don't know it's just it's concerning you know all right okay don't know on a daily basis and it's tough, yeah well as i said there's a lot of information to be fair to them thank you Avril. there's a lot of information to be fair to them in what port of cork have issued to us we were actually i think it's fair to say Dave, we were pleasantly surprised by the level of information in it uh, they're, they're, they seem to be doing all they can you can hardly scrap 107 very lucrative visits and i know people be cribbed about the environmental impact and all of that that's for another day, right? But you can't actually go and scrap 107 visits. You can be as careful as you possibly can, is about as much as you can do. Kevin says, what gives her the idea she has a right to more information than you've just read out? This irrational fear needs to be put in a box. It spreads more in more disinformation. Viv has been on from Madrid. Buenos dias, Viv. Uh, the government here made the decision yesterday to close all the schools, all the colleges and all the universities. I think 1.3 million pupils or students live in the Greater Madrid area alone. This will be the case until the 26th of March. I've just been to the supermarket. All hell has broken out. Empty shelves and chaos. And this is from Viv in Madrid. 1850. 
get the impression, don't you, that certain places are taking this more seriously than we are. You really do. Like, there's Viv's message from Madrid. All the universities, all the schools, and all the colleges have now been shut down until the 26th of March, which is two weeks and a bit away. Today is the 10th, so that's two weeks and a bit away, which is, of course, the, the incubation period. That's a very positive move. Well, it's a proactive move by by the Spanish. But here, schools are still open. It may change, but they are still open. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It's been a while since I visited Ballyhay, particularly for the Ballyhay says no march. I remember going up there on their first anniversary. It was a freezing cold January Sunday and yes, they marched and they started by marching weekly just Bally Hay is not a long march down and up again they started by marching weekly and then they started marching monthly and they've decided to pack it in now is it Dermot O'Flynn do you think that you've made your point or what? Good morning Good morning, PJ, and uh, thanks for that. And uh, I have to agree with you on the coronavirus. First of all, I think we're way, way behind where we should be. I think we're being led by donkeys on this, as on every other issue that has faced us over the last 10 years. Mm. But um, well, I wouldn't be inclined to call the chief medical officer a donkey, but maybe they're being a bit no, timid no, no. about it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about our, our, our um, political leadership. Right. Like I saw a video from Johnson yesterday where at least he comes out, he's thick enough to come out and say, you know, what exactly they're doing here, that basically this is an economic response above anything else, and it's the economics that are dictating what they're doing yeah. rather than the health of the people. But to go to your point... Yeah. <laughs> R- remind, um, us, remind us again of when Ballyhay Says No started and why. Well, we started on the, uh, the 6th of March 2011, and it was in response actually to, um, to um, Enda Kenny, who had just been, uh, that he had just led a massive um, rejection of Fianna Fáil and their policies and uh, an adoption by the people of Fianna Gael and what they had promised, and Labour, what they had promised in that election in, in 2011, um, that they were basically going to take um, Ireland's fight to Europe, especially on the bank bailouts and the bank debt and the enforced bailouts of banks and bankers. But that very weekend, I mean, the weekend of that election, you know, within days, 
he went to um, to Germany, and I remember he came back in door to with his chest out to um, uh, uh, Angela Merkel, basically to tell her, you know, look, I'm after getting this mandate from the Irish people, and you know, this is what we're going to do now. And like I have, uh, I'm going to reject what you've been forcing on us. And basically, he was slapped down very hard by the same Miss Merkel. Came back with his tail between his legs, made an announcement that you know, God, unfortunately, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do what I promised to do. And I just, just, you know, I heard this and I just said, no, we've got to, like, if they're not going to do it, then somebody has got to take this fight on, which we did. Because what, what that, that government then subsequently did was they brought Europe's fight to us. So it, uh, it's now nine years, almost to the day, um, last Sunday, that said that we've been marching, but we finished with the march. And in reply to your question, you know, have we, like, have we achieved our aims? Um, well, two major aims developed over the nine years. One was that we would publicise the ongoing, um, the, the ongoing destruction, the, the billions with the promissory notes, and this is happening right now, and bring this to the attention of the Irish people, which we felt, you know, immediately that there'd be a rejection of it. And the second aim then resulting from that was that we were going to try and right the wrong that was being done to Ireland. And as I said last Sunday, we failed in both of those aims, mm. and failed completely in both of those aims yeah. because. You know, it's just the the um, it's gotten no traction, and the media, especially the promissory notes. I mean, we, we destroyed two billion euro last year. You know, when at a time when people were screaming about the children's hospital, but at least with the overspend on that, and it is complete overspend. Like we will have a children's hospital with the two billion euro that was destroyed in the promissory notes. We have nothing. Yeah. And it was three three point five billion euro the year before, four billion the year before. So nine point five billion destroyed in destroyed. How do you mean destroyed, David? That's right. Like it, it's very simple, Peter. Like in 2009-10, um, like when Anglo and INBS were both insolvent and about to go on because they had major, um, major out- outgoings that they had to meet. You know, bonds, bondholders to be paid off, creditors to be paid off, and if they didn't meet those, um, they were going to go under. The ECB had had made uh, a dictate that no bank in the eurozone would go under. So they accepted these promissory notes, you know, basically, and, and literally just a signature note from um, Brian Lenhan, the then finance minister, that if these banks weren't good enough, wouldn't, you know, to, to repay the, the money that, they, that was going to be created for them, that the government would pay it. Now, everybody at the time knew that, 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 that they weren't good for it. Everybody at the time knew they were insolvent. Top D1 billion euro was created by our central bank, given to Anglo and IMBS, went mm. straight out the back door to these bondholders and creditors. And like a couple of years later, 20s have been the two banks were wound up. They, were, they mm. never became solvent. They were insolvent from yeah. that time, and they were still well, insolvent. When you, when you quick, say it was destroyed, quote, like, was it, I mean, when no, you say, it, dest- it, it, was it actually burnt or something? This is what I'm, I'm, I'm coming to, um, yeah. PJ. The quid quo pro for the creation of that 31 billion euro, it was an extra 31 billion euro that was created, you know, to, uh, through the Irish Central Bank, approved by the ECB, who knew exactly what was happening, like to, to, to be given to those banks. They were supposed to repay that to the Central Bank. Everybody knew they wouldn't. So the quid quo pro for the creation of it is that it now has to be taken back out of circulation. So that 31 billion euro has to be destroyed. And the only way we can destroy it is by borrowing it. We borrow it, we give it to the central bank, the central bank destroys it. And they're doing it in tranches of 500 million euro. They did it four times last year, four tranches of 500 million euro. They're not actually burning words of notes, are they? No, I mean, all this is now, everything now is electronic. But the okay. debt is real. This is what people have to understand. Yeah. Like the, 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 so they're doing away with billions. 
Yeah, they're doing away with bins. All, all national treasury management agency, they issue bonds, they, they take in debt, they take in money from the market. This is now debt. We pay we are now paying interest on that debt. And when those bonds mature, we will have to pay those bonds in full. But like all this is electronic, most money nowadays, especially at that level, is electronic, but it's real debt. And it's being added to our national debt. The two hundred and eight billion or two hundred and ten billion euros that we have of national debt, we're paying an, an enormous amount every year in interest mm. on that debt. Okay. Now, you went on subsequently. Um, you were a journalist when you started this, but you went on subsequently to work, I think, for, for Luke Bing Flanagan in the European Parliament. So you got a, you got a real education in, in how the whole thing works. And the question I wanted to ask you is this. When Enda Kenny went out and, as you said, uh, came back with his tail between his legs, knowing what you now know about the workings of the European Union, was there more he could have done? Oh, absolutely! There was more than that. Uh, like what we haven't just we haven't just stopped. It's a, we produced a report, PJ. I, I, I just I'll send it to you if you like. I'll send you. A, and you know, it's a massive report. I have to say, and the like the, the, the it was on you know the eurozone crisis was the euro itself a primary cause, and it absolutely was. But in that um, in that report. Like I have used almost 50 experts and quotations from 50 experts. I said that it was compiled by by myself as opposed to written by myself because I used the words of 50 mostly economic experts to make the case that we have been making for the last nine years, that Ireland has been very, very badly treated. But in those pages... In those pages, there are, like it outlines, what, uh, and this is coming from the experts themselves, um, steps that could have been taken mm. that that would have been completely different to the steps that were taken. Right. That would that would that would have seen not just Ireland. It wasn't just Ireland that's been numbered with with uh, with bank debt. I mean, you know, every almost every country in the eurozone has been numbered with bank debt. I mean, if you look at that as a as a, a currency, Peter, that started off. I think it was eleven countries started off. And five countries, five, imagine five countries went bankrupt within within twenty within ten years. Five went bankrupt. I mean, this currency was completely failed currency. It's a it's an absolute joke of it. There. People should read this to find out like, just how badly uh, wronged Ireland has been. But absolutely, there were alternatives. So, we were told there is no alternative. Tina became a big one. There is no alternative. There were. <laughs> I mean, there were there were alternatives right the way down the line. Ireland, like Enda Kenny, in in two thousand and and eleven, the ECB was in a very weak and very vulnerable situation, hugely vulnerable situation. And Ireland was in a in a relatively strong. We weren't in a strong situation, but we were in a stronger situation than we were five, six, seven years later because we had far more debt now to deal with. And when you have far more debt, debt to deal with, you're, you're in a weaker situation. But in 2011, before we took on all this massive bank debt, we could have said to the ECB, we are not doing this. And the ECB would then have been faced with a situation where they collapsed the euro and the eurozone and probably the EU or the accommodators, one or the other. And they believe me, from my experience of what I know since, they would have accommodated us. Okay. All right, Dermot, listen, well, you fought the good fight for as long as you could. Uh, and it's, it's always been good to talk to you over the years, and I've done that, we will again. Thank you very much. That's Dermot O'Flynn from Ballyhay. Uh, Ballyhay says no. They wrapped it up, their final march, after nine years. 1850-715-996. Coronavirus, many, many messages coming in. Um, PJ, yesterday I was getting a job done in my house. When the man arrived and he heard that my four-year-old had a head cold, he told me, get my son away from him, 
and that he had a duty of care to his customers. He then walked out the back door where I saw him pacing backwards and forwards. I was both upset by the way he spoke to me and uncomfortable in my own home, so I phoned my husband. When I looked again, the van was gone. He just jumped over the fence and drove off with no explanation. Never in my entire life have I come across such a rude and arrogant person. My four-year-old son was very upset by the way this man spoke to him. PJ, people need to calm down and realise the majority of people aren't as rude as this individual, but they need to think before they speak. I'm still quite upset over what happened yesterday, and I would prefer not to name on air. That's okay. That's fine. Jesus. <laughs> Bit of a snowflake ran out the back door already there. People are asking, a lot of people are asking, why is Cheltenham still going ahead? Cheltenham kicks off at, I think, 1 o'clock today. Why is this still going ahead? Money, lads. Money. Cheltenham is worth billions to the British economy. Money. 1850-715-996. You might be in self-isolation, but you might be staying in of an evening and, and looking for something to watch, something to get your mind off all this coronavirus stuff. Uh, great that you have the luxury to be able to do it. We could have to stay on top of it round the clock, but that's that's how it goes. But there's something you might want to watch. Um, something odd. Something very, very odd indeed. It's it's a huge, been a huge response to it on Netflix. It's called Love is Blind. It's, it's a reality television show. That has me running and screaming from the room anyway. But it's it's a dating show. And it's it premiered on Netflix back in Fomoy and or back in February. Back in Fomoy, back in February. Fomoy in the brain. And it ran for three weeks. And ten episodes. And it's it's basically strangers hoping to find love, which is kind of Love Island with with a difference. Um how it works is they, they meet and date each other in different pods where they can talk to each other but can't see each other. And then, having never even seen anybody, you can propose to them. You what? And after that, after you get engaged to someone you've never seen, you then go off to a couple's retreat in Mexico where you get to know the person you've just gotten engaged to. Talk about turning the whole of nature on its arse. Annie Lavin, the relationship coach. Annie, these can't possibly work out, these relationships, can they? Good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning, PJ. Um, can they work out? Well, there's actually a, an episode at the very end of these 10 episodes where it's a reunion and they look back at how the couples have progressed, you know, a year on. So um, some of them actually have, wow. which is interesting. Um, but I mean, the concept is 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 certainly out there. I mean, I'd be so interested to know what um, a love is blind based in Formoy would actually look like because <laughs> it's interesting that, you know, the title of the show is that um, when it comes to love, we don't really care what people look like. But, of course, you know, everyone on the show were, were pretty good-looking yeah. themselves. And, yeah. Um, I mean, like there's, no one there with, there's no one there with spots or hair out of their nostrils. <laughs> Not, not, not that I could see, um, <laughs> but it was just, yeah, it's, 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 it was very, made, makes for very good TV. Yeah, yeah. And how many of the relationships actually lasted? Uh, well, there was Barnett and Amber, 
Damien and Gianna, who decided not to get married, I mean, that was quite a, quite a healthy decision, but they continued to date. Okay. Um, so they were still together as a couple. Um, Lauren and Cameron, they were together and seemed to be very happy. Um, and then there was a final couple, um, Diamond and Carlton. They kind of had this big feud um during the show and of course they, they, they never resolved things and there was a Jessica and Mark who never worked out and Kenny and Kelly who, who didn't work out um, but they had they didn't work out let's say when the show ended. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't any surprise that they weren't they weren't together. Um, but I guess, you know, this idea of healthy love as I teach it with clients that yeah. I would work with is that love you know or healthy love is about balancing your head with your heart and there must be a connect there so um for a lot of these couples there seemed to be um you know a disconnect around knowing who they were were what they may have needed in relationship and who they were compatible with and they seem to be kind of in love with the idea of being in love rather than really thinking about what is it that love means to me what is it that a relationship means to me and what would I like a relationship to to um, represent in my life? You know, w- one of the guys um, in this reunion show, he, he, he was sharing, you know, that I was emotionally empty before I went on the show. So, I mean, coming from that kind of space is, is a really unhealthy place to, to ever consider creating a healthy relationship with anybody else. So it's not uncommon in fact, that people people can put so much more emphasis and focus on finding the one in inverted commas mm. versus rather than trying to find meaning in their life. I would suggest you're more likely to find the one down the local than you are on a reality show. <laughs> well, I guess that is a question that... Um, you know, poses a lot of uh, complaints from my single clients, you know, that they actually are struggling to meet people, um, especially clients who reach a certain age and maybe are done with the local. So let's imagine, you know, for one, I'm, I'm just plucking ages out of my head here, yeah. but late 30s, 40s, um, late 40s, you know, you might be kind of done with going to pubs or a lot of your um, peer group or friends might be done with that. So then comes the question, well, where where can I meet um, people? So that's quite a common complaint that I would hear from, from clients. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I mean, where do you meet people? You meet people, essentially, uh, you have a better chance of meeting people in places where you're um, showing up because you genuinely feel passionate about whatever it might be. So be that a tennis club, be that a dancing class, whatever it might be, if you're genuinely feeling as though that is a place that is aligned with, you know, your loves or your passions, mm. then wonderful. But um, it can be a mistake then to show up in these places thinking, well, this is the ideal place to meet X type of, of man or woman or, or, you know, whatever the pronoun might be. <laughs> what is the fascination with stuff like this on television, this and, and say, the likes of, of, of Love Island? Mm. I mean, people you're I, coaching I are helping to form relationships. Like, what, what, what is it that drives people to watch these things in such huge numbers? Well, as humans, we're quite voyeuristic. You know, we, we like to imagine, well, what would this be like if I was experiencing this? I think um, we all have curiosity and we're all interested to get a sense of what it might be like 
to to be in these divisions, you know, these very unusual predicaments. And it's actually it's it's chewing gum for the brain, but it's 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 enjoyable. Yeah. It's enjoyable well, for certain people. I'd prefer to watch people. I'd prefer to watch Star Trek. But anyway <laughs> come here, there's word coming out of China that in about nine months time there could be a serious baby boom because of all the people who were forced to isolate themselves in lonely apartments for the last month or so. Like, maintaining a social distance is one thing, staying away from big gatherings is another, but, like, when you have nothing else to do, do you begin to realise how attractive this person is all over again? <laughs> Could social isolation and be, or be, be good for us in our relationships, maybe? Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, I could see that... Um, I could see that on the other side of the coin too where social isolation being around somebody up close in a way that perhaps you're not usually could also cause um, issues and concerns in your relationship too. So I guess um, that would make for a good experiment if somebody's out there looking for um, an idea for, for a thesis. <laughs> it's a good one. Lock them all in together for 14 days. <laughs> Take people who've been married for 10, 15, 20, 25 years and lock them up in one small apartment for two weeks and say, you can't get out now, you can do nothing. And by the end of it, see how the relationship is. Yeah. Well, the Gottman, the, Got- the Gottman Institute in the States, they, um, Julie and John Gottman, they've studied couples in, in, the, in kind of close proximity over long periods of time, and they've been able to identify um, particular ways in which, you know, relationships will reach demise if, you know, there's stonewalling, there's contempt, there is constant criticism. So there, there, there's lots of actually research out there to read and, and, and realise, you know, or acknowledge maybe some of your unhealthy behaviours that can cause the demise of your relationship if anyone's out there interested to look at that. Plenty, right. plenty online. All right, good to talk to you. Annie Levin, The Relationship Coach. That show is on Netflix. Um, if I find myself isolated... Um, if I find myself having to uh, self-isolate over this virus, um, I have a long list of things that I want to do, a long list of books that I want to read, a long list of television that I want to watch. I have to say now Love and Blind isn't on it. If I was, in fact, I think if I was self-isolated until about Christmas 12 months, I don't think I'd be too pushed anyway. But anyway, uh, Cork Lions Club have been on to say that their ball run on Patrick's Hill, this is a fun event, they've been doing it for a couple of years, it has been postponed indefinitely. A new date will be fixed when the current health scare has passed. Anybody who had purchased balls needn't worry. Their allocated numbers will be held over until the next ball run. The run is our main fundraiser for the Cork Lions City Centre Defibrillator Project. Uh, we need to run the event to support the project. It's great. If you ever hear Patrick's Hill or down around the corner from us, it's fabulous. These hundreds of coloured balls flying down the hill. They've had to postpone it for health and safety, or health reasons. Jude says, meeting the one down the local and a bag of chips on the way home. Class. Reality TV sucks. It's all too fake. 1850-715-996. And, oh, listen, we had the story of the nurse yesterday. This is really annoying. Please don't mention my name. I had a similar incident with a nurse sent home from CUH to self-isolate. She came into my workplace to buy vitamins and after a 10-minute conversation tells me she was now sent home from work to self-isolate 
and was being tested in her home the following day as her colleague had tested positive. They were so shocked that a healthcare professional would put other people at risk with absolutely no regard for the public or for safety. Like, what kind of a clot? What kind of an idiot? Particularly a so-called health professional would do that. Really, really. 1850 715 There is a new film out uh, on the subject of climate change. And it's getting a premiere at St. John's College this evening. It was shown last week, but its first public showing is at St. John's this evening. And I want to talk to one of the people behind it next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. This week on the Big Drive Home, I'll have chances for you to get into the grand final of Crazy for Cali. The one second song continues. I'll have all the latest Cork traffic updates for you with the 96FM Street Fleet, and you take total control of the playlist on the takeover. I'll chat to you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home with GoBus.ie. Reliable, non stop return services from Cork to Dublin City and Airport. Seat sale now on at gobus.ie. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Third and final clue to our celebrity mom with the Clayton Hotel, Cork City of Lapskey. She has forged a career as a very successful fashion designer. Her name and yours. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. So this film was shown last week at the London School of Economics as the first screening in Cork. Professor Janice Hacken, what's it about? Good morning. It's called Necessity, Oil, Water and Climate Resistance. What's it all about? Well, thank you for having me on your program. Delighted. It's about a fight in um, the Midwest, Minnesota primarily, uh, led by indigenous activists and um, climate um, and climate resistors to try to stop the flow of tar sands oil from Alberta, Canada, flowing into the Midwest. And it includes a trial that was um, an important. A milestone in the climate movement where four protesters cut uh, cut off oil pipelines along the Canadian-U.S. border in four states and using the necessity defense, um, which argues that you um, are making a defense of innocence by reason of necessity. And, and so the, the trial, um, I had a chance to go to Minnesota to, to film the trial of two of the um, activists and um, also was interested in the story of how indigenous water protectors in that area are um, are trying to block the, the passage of this very, very toxic oil into the U.S. So it, it tells these two interlocking stories. And I wanted to create a film, too, that was inspiring and hopeful and also ed- educational because so many of my uh, students and the young people I work with don't know much about the histories yeah. of civil disobedience. Yeah. And 
there's a lot of there's a growing support particularly among young people and groups like say extinction rebellion but among a lot of young people in particular that now the climate situation is so urgent that we must consider more uh, civic yes. business in the u.s as well and worldwide the um, young people are really pushing for what's called direct action which includes a range of um of um, protest behaviors often around um, acts of civil disobedience and many of them are protected by law and, I, and so I, I became interested in how um, activists were calling for these actions but many many people don't know much about yeah. their legal rights so a lot of the film focuses on movement lawyers Excellent. who are guiding you know kind of guiding uh, you through mm. assessing different thresholds of risk is it getting a cinema release janice well it's um we are now working with a production company that's um seeking support to make this a series so this would be a pilot in a six-part series, so we'll see what happens okay. to the, with that. Okay. In the meantime, community groups are um, screening it at, at events around the country, and we have submitted it to film festivals. Okay, okay. It's on tonight, St. John's no, Central. No, tomorrow Tomorrow night. Night. I beg your pardon. Tomorrow yeah. night, Wednesday the 11th, uh, at St. John's Central College at 6 o'clock. Uh, that's uh, Jan Hacken, the maker of the film called Necessity. Uh, oil, water and climate resistance. Thanks, Jan. Sorry we didn't have much time, but it's been a very, very busy morning with coronavirus and I'm sure that's going to make us busy day after day until this thing is finally brought under control. Our celebrity mom, of course, Victoria Beckham. Uh, Leanne Corcoran in Clifton Court in Grange and Douglas is our winner today. That's our daily prize. Remember that huge one we're giving away on Friday. That's it. Thank you, Dee. Thanks, Fergal. Back in the morning just after nine. Remember, wash your hands.